Drumming. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer Ryan Brown. Ryan is a professional drummer and percussionist in Los Angeles, California. In addition to his gig as the drummer for Dweezil Zappa, he plays with Los Angeles-based bands, The Young Royals, Black Belt Karate, Sex Tapes, AMFM, The Fuxitos, and Madras. And in bands of artists like Erica Rose, Karam, Malachi Sanchez, Colin Armstrong, Josh Canova, Space Oddity, and rapper Jay Naughty. Ryan stays very busy in the Los Angeles area, recording and doing many sessions. He is also on the drum faculty at Musicians Institute in Hollywood, California, and teaches private lessons as well. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. And no matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. So real quick, a big thank you to a mutual friend between Ryan and I, Tim Denbo, a wonderful musician and bass player here in Nashville that connected me with Ryan. He and uh, Ryan go back to their days at Indiana University, and uh, thanks to Tim for connecting me with Ryan. It was such a joy to speak with Ryan. Uh, I feel like we connected on many different levels, not only our obsession with Rush, but uh, just his love of music, and he has some amazing stories. This interview goes a bit long, but I encourage you to stick around because Ryan's just got one thing after another, from the audition for Dweezil to uh, performing with Alex Lifeson. So stick around and uh, check out this interview. I really hope you enjoy it. My interview with Ryan Brown. I'm curious to know, like, why L.A.? When you grew up in Denver, and then you went to IU, Indiana University, uh, what was the draw to L.A.? And I'm trying to remember when it is that you moved in 99. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, uh, you're going to laugh. I was at Indiana, and I knew I wanted to go to a big city, 
and, you know, pursue this as a career, you know, of course. And, uh, so I decided it was going to be either LA or New York and I didn't know which one. And I had, and at that point in time, I'd never been to New York and I'd been to LA only on vacation with my parents, you know, as a kid. So I'd never really been to either essentially. Um, and I, I was, I was studying with Kenny Aronoff at the time right. and I was talking to Kenny about, you know, you know, which one to go to, what to try to do, talking to, you know, other, other friends. And then, uh, somebody mentioned that they had moved to New York or they, sorry, that they had a friend that moved to New York. So I talked to them and they were telling me these stories about going to gigs and carrying their drums on the subway and, uh, you know, where they were living and putting their drums on a dolly and taking them to the subway or take it, putting them in a taxi. Yeah. And that, I'm not kidding. That's why I was like, you know what? I'm not, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go to LA. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, that was a, a, a giant reason I hadn't thought about that because I'd never been to New York. I didn't, you know, I didn't know about the, you know, like, you know, no one has a car right? and the public transportation thing. And I was, I was just thinking, Oh my God, that sounds like a nightmare. And I know a lot of places do have house kits. Yeah. Um, but I just thought, you know what? I think maybe I'll try LA first. Um, and then, and I, and I, when I drove here, uh, May 1st of 99 and, um, you know, it was one of those things, like, I don't know how long I'll stay. I'll go, I'll try. And Kenny had always said, you know, give it seven to 10 years and see what happens. Wow. Okay. And, uh, that, that was like his, his marker. He was saying, you know, when you're, when you're 22, that's a, sounds like a long time. I mean, it is a long time, but it's, you know, it's, I was like thinking, man, that's a, that's a lot of time. So I came here and then, um, and never looked back and hit the ground running and I immediately loved it. And it's been 23 years and, uh, and, uh, and that was kind of it. Yeah. Was, was Nashville on your radar at all? You know, it wasn't, um, I, I wanted to go to a, a bigger city yeah, uh, and I had been to Nashville a couple of times, and I've always enjoyed going there. And I, I was actually just there like a month ago, um, and I, I just wanted to go to a bigger, yeah. a bigger place. Sure, um, and uh, and just see and see, you know, what it would be like. Yeah, I mean, and, and also you know, see if I could handle it. You know, for, not even counting music wise, but if I could handle living in a giant city. Well, yeah, I mean, th there's that. I mean, gosh, New York and L.A. Music aside, has there's so much to it. There's so much. There's so many moving parts. I think that's what attracted me to Nashville is that it seemed more akin to a midwestern town, even though it was south of the Mason Dixon. It was just kind of like one of those places. And I had friends that were here. That was probably a huge draw. But and and being seven hours away from me, it it was like I think I can do this. But um, to me, L.A. seemed overwhelming uh, at the time. I totally understand that. And I, and I teach uh, a lot. And I've taught at Musicians Institute for the last like 11 years or so. And, yeah. and, uh, and that, that's a topic that comes up on a regular basis, you know, with, with students. Who, and, and, that, and it's a great way, you know, any, any school in a major city is a great way to kind of get your feet wet and be like, okay, could I live here? Could, yeah. could I do this? You know, and then, and then one thing I've found actually with, with a lot of students at MI is then they, they live around the school or, you know, whatever, whatever the school is where you go to, of course, you're going to be near it, but you never really see where, 
your teachers live. So, you know, we're kind of where, you know, the real world yeah. is. Yeah. And so then, then I got in this habit of about, uh, you know, five or six years ago where then I would, uh, do like a little field trip with some students and, and you know, we go grab some lunch and I drive up to where I'd be like, Hey, this is where we live. You know, oh. it's you know, tw- 20 minutes away from Hollywood. You know, you're not in Hollywood. It's not insane. Like, you know, living in Hollywood can be not everywhere, but it can be. And, and so I found, uh, I kind of figured that out with one particular student. And then I started doing that with many students to, you know, kind of show them like, look, it's not as insane as it seems. There's a lot of areas that are way more suburban that feel more like the Midwest where, you know, many of us are from. I, I, so. Yeah, it's really fascinating, and and I think that's kind of that's a part of I think this podcast that, that I that we pride ourselves on is is kind of like looking under the hood of of the way people live their lives, not just how we survive in the business, but like how do we manage all these things, these somewhat you know domestic type issues and and living and quality of life and and dealing with relationships and and all these other things that. Um, I think as a young person feeling inspired to take on music as a career, it's hard to see beyond the, uh, all the, all the beautiful things that come along with, with performing and recording and writing and being around other musicians and looking at all the great pictures and reading the articles and all the things that's like, yeah, but you still have to assemble some sort of, life around that, uh, or it's preferable that you do. And the reason I say that is because I think we all know that amazing musician we grew up inspired by, but then when you get to know them, you realize like, okay, this is all they know. This is all they do. Like everything else in their life is kind of not really, uh, gosh, how do I put this? Like, um, it just doesn't seem super organized and they just don't seem happy. And they're super talented, and they have this thing. But there's 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 a balance that I think is really necessary, no matter what it is, you know, in making your music better. Perfectly well said. And yeah, there's a giant balance in, in that regard. And yeah, and uh, I mean, we could talk about just that for a long, long time. But <laughs> That's I, I, true. The uh, one thing I tell I, I tell students all the time that, that I had never thought of ever until, you know, starting to do this, like, you know, you do, and we all do is, um, being gone for a sen- or, or being prepared mentally to be gone for every holiday. Mm, yes. So, so I don't know about you. So like, you know, I was a kid, you know, my, my parents were always home. They never traveled for work every, you know, every birthday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, I mean, you name, you know, whatever it was, you know, that's, you know, it was this awesome tradition. New Year's. Yeah. You know, um, and I think a thing that, uh, you know, a lot of younger people don't realize and is that, I mean, there's all, you know, I say this, of course, with, for me, this is the best thing in the world ever. Like we get, I make a living playing drums. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You can't like this. This is incredible. This is incredible, but but the one the one thing I, that kind of that took me personally a while to adjust to was the whole notion of like you know you you may never spend New Year's with your family. Yeah, um, you know, be it like I was in China on Christmas once, and even being out with Dweezil, we've been out for 
almost every Thanksgiving I've been gone. And, and that's, and you know, it's like you said, it's that balance, that, that trade-off. And then, and then in particular, finding a partner that is, that is okay with that. Yeah. Is, is a thing. But I say that again, all, you know, we make a living hitting stuff with pieces of wood and it's the best thing in the world. But that's, but that was, that was a big thing for me that I, you know, I, I, it did take me a while to kind of just come to terms with, you know, okay, I will make up every birthday when I get home from the road, I will make up Valentine's day. I, you know what, you know, yeah. list other things. So that that's the, so yeah, but to your point, yeah, the balance thing is, it's giant. It, it's really interesting. Like I, I know my wife has told people, you know, that, that their partner of, of a musician has said, you know, listen, if you're just starting out, just just keep in mind, uh, birthdays don't have to be celebrated on the day. Christmas doesn't have to be so. Ce- well, I mean, Christmas is a tough one, but like certain Christmas is hard. Certain yeah, anniversaries and and events and life events, like it doesn't always have to be on the day. Um, so just yep. Yeah, just be prepared, and um, that seems to. And she's been she's been great about that. But we just, I just, you know, we just go over the top when we have time, and 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 try yep. and be uh, impulsive when when possible, and just improvise, you know. Um, well, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. What, one of the things I was going to ask you about uh, teaching is, you've been doing it for eleven years at MI. And I'm like, yeah, I started teaching when I was 17, when I was in high school. So I had my first student and, and I fell in love with me immediately. I mean, for all the reasons everybody mentions, but you know, how you really have to look inward to your own plane and oh yeah, really examine yourself. And but I've been doing an MI for 11 years. Yeah. So is there anything that, that students ask about, like, uh, students are interested in these days that maybe and questions they're asking that they weren't asking maybe even 10 years ago. Wow. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, it seems like, you know, so so much music today depends on what style, of course you're listening to, but it's, you know, a lot, a lot of pop music isn't real drums. Right. So there's a lot of questions I get about, you know, um, electronics and programming and, you know, uh, you know, triggering and Ableton and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff to try to replicate that sound. Um, I think is that, you know, definitely something that's more prevalent now than it was, was in the past. Um, but, uh, I mean, primarily, you know, most people, if they're playing drums, they're already listening to, to stuff that has, of course, tons of live drums on it. But, yeah. but then you're, you're thrust into a situation where you have to, to, you know, sound like one of those things that's all programmed stuff yeah for sure Uh, um so i think that's a big thing and then um you know of course uh you know pretty much every student of mine watches all the gospel chops videos and uh you know and and is you know way way into all that uh stuff which is which is really fun and and was not around when we were kids. yeah exactly so that that's you know then of course you know the whole you know, YouTube making it easily accessible for everything, you know, but, uh, um, do you find that you have to kind of really stay on top of all that stuff and, and, and like, well, man, I, I've I've got this uh, student coming in next week and uh, I know he's really into this. So let me just 
pop YouTube on and, and, uh, or let me, you know, kind of wrap your head around some of those things because as a, as a musician, you're, we're, we're a practicing musician, like a practicing physician. We're trying to, you know, make sure that we're in touch with what is necessary for us, uh, this year. Uh, and I am, I wonder if, if teaching is, puts us in that same category. Yeah, that's a great point. And I mean, I have playlists made for almost every student that I have of stuff that they like. Oh, wow. So, so then I'll listen to it before. Like you said, if I'm driving to MI or driving to someone's house, I do, I go to a lot of people's houses and teach on the way there. I'll, I'll, you know, get in my head stuff that they're into and I'll pull something out of that. I'll be like, okay, they like, you know, whatever this song is, I'll put on a like, Oh, interesting. Okay. That was a nine bar bridge in that song. And, you know, and there's a, a kind of a hook drum fill that's, you know, whatever it is. And then we'll, you know, like examine that. Mm-hmm. Like I'll kind of pull things out of what they love um, and then use that as a gateway to introduce new uh, ideas or things that, you know, we've listened to in the past. You know, hey, you know, this this figure here that they're playing that. Hey, that reminded me of this King Crimson song. You know, King Crimson, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, kind of pull something as a to kind of tie it as like a through line. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's ever, it's ever evolving and, um, definitely staying on top of that and teaching definitely keeps you up on new music. I think there's like no better way. I I mean, you know, you play playing cover bands and do that stuff, but, but it's different than when you have, you know, a, a 17 year old say, I want to learn how to play this song. Mm-hmm. And you really di- really dive into it and really figure it out with them. So so yeah, I mean it's, yeah, constantly evolving. But uh, yeah, I always ask them. I always say, you know, hey, what do you listen to? And I'll have them send me, like, text me a list of stuff, and I'll just make a playlist and yeah. you can try to get in, you try to get inside their head, and then help them branch out. But you know, we gotta have fun. I feel like teaching it it, it makes this broad spectrum available to you because. You have to go back to the basics to show the student how important the basics are. So you have to be up with the basics. It's, it's been kind of a common theme lately I've been talking about is playing singles and doubles incredibly clean and well and accurate when demonstrating to a young student or a new student. And so it reminds you of the importance of that and how to, and how to do that. I think that, that can get lost, um, but also be up with what young people are interested in and, and, and things that I don't teach. I've had a couple students here and there over the years, but, um, I can kind of pay attention to what it is that I think I need to know. If it's not the gig in front of me, if it's not the music that's been given me or whatever, knowing that, well, you know, it's like, I'm anticipating what kind of sessions I'm going to be doing, what kind of thing. So it's like, I can kind of like worry about only myself, (laughs) You know, right? You know, in some in some ways, it's kind of the beauty of this podcast because it's like I it, it gives me a really good reason to dig in deep t- with the different guests that I'm going to talk to and listen to stuff that I either have never listened to or that I haven't listened to in a long time. So that's exposed me to a lot of things and 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 been a beautiful discovery. Um, and hopefully, people can follow along with that as well. But but yeah, I just I'm always curious about that. Um, and what the benefit of teaching, the benefit of being an educator. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, you just, you just nailed it. I mean, it's like, you know, play the basics 
I mean, going back to, you know, the basic stuff. I mean, if, I mean, I guess it's, there's so many things involved in getting a gig and then, and then it's keeping the gig. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and, and almost all of that stuff is, is basic, you know, you know, basic stuff that you learn, you know, in the first, you know, whatever, five years of taking drum lessons and then just doing, you know, making it feel in different ways. But, uh, um, I mean, that's such, such a huge thing, you know, it, you know, as far as pop music goes yeah. and the end gigs that pay to pay, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and then we can do those gigs and then, you know, in our free time, you know, do the super fun avant-garde stuff. Um, and, you know, kind of release those chops. But yeah, I mean, it all goes back to the, to basics, but I, but the teaching thing, you're right. It's, I mean, it's so fun on many levels for me, but, um, you know, it's where, and students, you know, like, Hey, you know, I want to learn whatever the song is. And then, you know, if it's a newer song, you don't know, and then you can just get in this in the head of, of that tune. And then I'll always look up. Okay. So that tune was produced by, you know, whoever was produced by who wrote that song. Here's these song. I'll kind of file that away. Uh, you know, and being in LA, you're in Nashville, if you're in New York or any big city the chances of you running into somebody eventually that worked on whatever that song is, is pretty high at some point. Uh, you know who I ran into yeah. last weekend was Nick Rescue Linux. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I mean, I knew he was in town. I love it. But I was like, uh, and I, I, I think I'm close to getting him on as a guest. But I, that that was just uh, it's just blowing my mind. And I bet in LA it's kind of the same. But I can understand that, like making those connections uh, and and introducing that component to the student, so that if they really want to do this for real, not only understanding the drums, but and the drummer, but like understanding the process. Hundred percent, yeah, and, the, and and it's just like it just builds and builds and builds and builds on top of everything. I mean, right? Like the, I mean, I can think of a drum chart I ever read ever when I was eleven years old was the Bob James tune "Angela," the theme from Taxi, <laughs> and and, st- and it's like you know that was literally Ryan Brown chart one. Wow, and it's burned into my permanent memory. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. And so, even though that time ago, like I can still recall that. And then you, and then I'll think, you know, okay, well, oh, yeah, I'm playing some song for somebody. Oh, wait, what if I did that that thing from Angela? Oh, that work here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, always slide slide stuff around into different. So I talk about that a lot when I teach. Also, is you know, you may love. Um, I mean, you can pick any band you may love, uh, you know, anthrax. And then I'll take like some fill from an anthrax to him. Like, I'm like, this fill is awesome. I'm like, you could also use this on your singer songwriter gig on Saturday. Like this, uh, like the exact same thing, like this, you know, like slide this stuff around, you know, it's not exclusive to whatever style of music that you're, that you're into. And, and you want to make sure that they're paying attention to what you're putting across you, what, what you're telling them and, 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 and the nuance of it, because you don't want them showing up with a cajon and a double kick pedal. That might be, <laughs> <I can imagine. laughs> 
that'd be that'd be amazing, though. <laughs> I would I would actually love that. I would love to see that. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, you mentioned t- taking a students around and and kind of giving them a little bit of a of a, of a view, an overview of what it's like to live, and, and and like, look, this is this is kind of the real world. I mean, are they inquiring about other things outside music? Are they uh, are they seeking advice, uh, seeking a confidant with this as they're, you know, growing? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it takes, a, I mean, this, the student teacher relationship, you know, it takes a while to, yeah, I mean, every student's different, right? And, sure. Uh, sure. You know, I mean, some students open up immediately, some don't, which is totally fine. You know, you know, it's just every, everybody's in a different place. And yeah. And I, what made me think of all that stuff years ago was there was one particular student I became really, really good friends with and he had moved here and he was, he wanted to do it so bad. He wanted to give LA a shot, graduate and do the LA thing. And he was like, I don't know if I can, because he was from, you know, the Midwest. And he was like, I don't know if I can hang with living here. And so we ended up talking a lot of, a lot about that stuff. You know, it was like the lesson would be 50% drums, 50, just how to navigate yeah. doing a career, you know, and, and if you want, if you want to do it like this, you know, you know, did he, if you really want to, to give it a go. And so then, so then, you know, I mentioned, you know, dri- driving around, you know, and, and meeting other people, seeing where people live, um, you know, you know, talking about, you know, this guy in particular had a girlfriend that was back home. You know, was she going to want to move out here? I mean, that it's a whole, Oh yeah. You know, like you mentioned earlier about the bed, the balance thing, that's a huge, huge thing. And, you know, and what do you want your life to be? I mean, do you want, you know, do you want to have a family? Like we both have kids, mm-hmm. like, do you want to have, you know, and that, you know, and how to, how to balance that successfully. Yeah. Um, but but yes, I, that's you know, that's the thing I talk about with a lot a lot of students on different on different levels, but especially being here, it's you know, you know, being LA and just trying to navigate, you know, living here alone. Forget the you know music, just trying to you know exist here as a whole you know kind of its own thing. Same in New York and yeah yeah for sure. Know, my 17-year-old is starting his second week up in Eastman for a summer program, uh, studying classical guitar, and um, the opportunity presented itself. I thought, okay, good. He's going to get his ass kicked at a great music school for three weeks, but more importantly, he's going to be on his own, and I think he'll be fine. The things he'll learn from this experience is, is worth the price of admission to pre- prepare him for the next stage of life. Totally. Yeah. And I, and I did this, I did that at uh, the university of Colorado Boulder, uh, when I, when I was his age, Mm -hmm. that same thing where you, you, you know, not as far away, obviously as he is from you now, but, uh, where you're just, you're on your own and yeah. Yeah. And and see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Those are things that, that those are things that are tough and those are kind of, it's kind of a rite of passage for a lot of people, uh, especially if you want to do this because, uh, it can be, um, it can be a very lonely situation, especially if outside you have to experience things outside your comfort zone. If this is what you want to do, whether it's being under high pressure situation in the studio or traveling or uncomfortable travel or being around people you don't know. And, uh, and then, 
exposing yourself as an artist, as a musician, whatever. So these are, these are, man, what a, it's an emotional roller coaster. It can be. It is. Yeah. And actually I remember, uh, feeling that exactly in my, you know, the first apartment I lived in here in LA and then just getting used to the idea of that, you know, just being uncomfortable <laughs> when, you know, when you're, when you're generally never uncomfortable prior to <laughs> yes. you know ma- making that, making that leap. Yes. And then it's like, Oh my God, I have, you know, I have money to live for two weeks <laughs> and what am I going to do? And I don't have any family here. Yeah. You know, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, well, and you're an only child. Is that right? I am. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. And I get, my wife is an only child and uh, trust me, I get it. And man, the boy, the shit that goes along with that. I'm just kidding. No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> you selfish sons of bitches. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and I, and I, ha- and I have an only child. So oh, you, okay. I, I only have one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, the, speaking of LA, so I, I heard a story about when you first moved there and the first day that you were there, um, I'll, I'll try and I'll try and summarize. You 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 went into a guitar center and you were like, "Hey, I'm just I've just moved here. I, I need to know what's going on." And they mentioned a club next door. You went there the next night and you met three people in that club that night, and it has it it had turned from one relationship to another that led you to becoming a full time musician. Is that safe to say? That's one hundred percent safe to say. Okay. Yeah. I, I just I think that I, I'd love for you to tell a little bit about that um, and how the, that initial meeting. I like to call it the family tree. You have that one or two people that you know, and you they recommend you for such and such, and then you meet somebody on that session or that gig, and then that branches off into something else, and then that branches off into something else, and. There's no formula. There's nothing that is a hundred percent. But this, there's a model here from which to pull. And when I heard the story, I'm like, oh, that's the thing. That's the model. So, would you share that? Yeah, of course. Um, I love the family tree analogy. Um, I mean, like you just said, I moved here, and I, and I, I you know, I ended up going to this club. It was called Cafe Cordial, and it's not there anymore. And, uh, which is very sad. Mm. Uh, and I met so many people at this place. So, I mean, my advice to, you know, any, any, uh, younger person, you know, moving somewhere now would be just like find somewhere and just go there and just, you know, just, and just try to try to meet. I know you hear people say that all the time, just meet people, but like you said, the family tree thing, you just never know what's going to happen. And, and, and it's that these, this was a very slowly evolving situation. I sat at the bar. I didn't know anyone and just started talking to these three guys and they, and they realized I was alone. They realized, you know, after, you know, 45 minutes or whatever that, you know, I was not meeting anyone <laughs> there. <laughs> and, uh, so we all just started talking and, and, uh, and one of them said, you know, you know, Hey, you know, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I said, and no, I said, you don't understand. Like, I don't even have an apartment yet. Like I, <laughs> like, I like, I'm in a hotel. Like I have, I have nothing going on. I was like, what's yeah. What's going on? He was like, well, I, I play in this band called green jello 
And there's a huge party tomorrow night at the Green Jello uh, compound in Hollywood. Essentially, this you know huge warehouse building. He's like, hey, "Do you, you do you want to come?" I was like, "Yeah." Uh, so that was one one of those three guys. Each one of them have led to this you know a giant bunch of of amazing opportunities. So then I went to the Green Jello place the second night, and met all kinds of people, and immediately hit it off with uh, with who became has become one of my best friends, Pete Jones. And uh, we bonded over our extreme love of Frank Zappa music. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was in this was in '99. Oh my gosh! And um, so that, and of course, our extreme love for Hugh Lewis and the News. <laughs> and uh, and so yeah, we just became friends. I mean, I met I met a ton of people. You know, those those first couple of days, and then and then way fast forward. So that's in '99. And then when uh, when Dweezil started, Zappa played Zappa in '06. Yeah. The same guy who I've been friends with, you know, since '99, he called me. He was like, "You're not going to believe this." Like, I called to to work for Dweezil. He's putting this band together. They're playing Frank music, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" You know, being a diehard Zappa fan, I couldn't believe that there was going to be this band playing Zappa music, and to be able to see it, experience it live. And he, you know, he's like, "I'll get you into some shows. You know, let me know when you want to come." You know, we've been friends for years, and and uh, so I go. To probably around 15 shows between 06 and 2013. And I never thought I would be in the band yeah. ever. And then we, and then one day he calls me and I, I was at, I was at MI. I remember the whole, I remember exactly the way the light was shining in the room and he calls and wow. I was in between lessons. I answered the phone. I said, Pete, what's up? And he didn't even say hi. He goes, Ryan. And I was like, yeah, I, like, I thought something was wrong. He just says, he goes, it's time. <laughs> and I, and I knew I, I like, you know, 80% of me knew what he meant. And I, but I, the other 20% was like, no, what? Like you can't be <laughs> really. And, uh, and that, so that's, so it's to your point, like that's, you know, I met him in 99 and then in 2013 that led to me getting the biggest gig of my life. And my dream gig was because I met this guy yeah. at the green jello you know, compound in Hollywood. <laughs> so, you know, and I, I want to hear, I want to hear the story of, of the audition. The audition, audition is amazing. Um, but I'm also curious to know, like in that interim, you got the gig teaching at MI, but there's also other bands, musicians you worked with. I mean, was there anything proactive that you felt like you had to do or was it just one of these must be ple- must be present to win kind of deals? How did people discover, how did, how did it go from meeting this person in 99 and then, you know, 2013 him knowing that, I mean, you guys were friends. He'd obviously seen you play, knew your skill set, knew your knowledge and obsession with, with all things Zappa and things like that. But, but I mean, like, how do we connect the dots? How, how would someone connect the dots that's trying to do this? So uh, we met and then we started playing immediately. Okay. Like in 99. So, so he had, uh, my Pete had, had, has had many bands, um, over the years. And I played with him in a few of those bands and the other ones I would go see those bands. And then he ended up having a, a jam session in studio city at a little bar there. And I was the, his house drummer at his jam and it was super fun. And it was, I can't remember what night it was like every Tuesday night or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I mean, this is a long, long time ago. This is probably like, you know, I like Oh four Oh five, something like that. Wow. And, uh, and we did it every week and he, you know, he'd say, Hey, learn these, you know, 25 songs. And we just get up and we just had a great time and just jammed them and did some Frank stuff. And, um, so to your point, so he knew, like he knew my, not just my love of, of Frank, um, but that he knew that I could pull off the stuff that we had played together. Okay. So, you know, so he, he felt, and this, this is actually a, a, like a separate thing. It is like when you recommending anyone for a gig is a, or a session is a big deal because it could go one of two ways. Yeah. It could be amazing or it could not be amazing. And if it's not amazing, then the person that, you know, if I recommend someone for a gig and it does not go well, then my, then my relationship with the person that I recommended them to is not, you know, it was like minus 5% now. You yeah. know, I mean, seriously, I, there was one situation years ago where I actually lost a gig that way where I recommended somebody. It went awful. Mm. And I never heard from the band leader ever again. Oh no. So, right. So you, that was a big learning thing for me too, is if I'm going to recommend somebody, I need to be really certain that it's going to go well. Well, and I think some people have this in their, in their minds, like, well, I, I don't want to lose the gig to my sub. So I'm going to get somebody that, uh, isn't as good. Like there, there's that old uh, concept and it's like that, that just doesn't work. You need to plug someone in that will kick ass and the band will not miss you and put your ego aside. And I mean, you should be rewarded for that move. Yes. And that's a huge, huge thing. Um, where I, to the, to the point where like, I, I have zero problem like recommending somebody that I know that, 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 uh, that could do such a good job that they may replace, replace me. I'm not worried about that at all. Yeah. Like you said, I would rather have the gig covered and everybody be happy. Like that's of utmost importance to me, especially after what happened to me, whatever that was in like, Oh, interesting. Oh, five, Oh six or so or something. But yeah, like, I'm not kidding. Like I, it went horribly. The bass player called me and was like, it was awful. <laughs> and I never heard from them ever again. <laughs> ever, like and that was, that was the, and I, and that, and that I had done that gig for probably like a year and a half. Oh wow. So, so uh, yeah. So ever since then, I've always been really, I have to be really certain to the point where sometimes people will say, do you know anybody? I'm like, no, I don't like, I'd rather just not, not do that. So my, so to, you know, back to Pete, like, you know, I, it was, I was honored that he, he was, he'd worked for Dweezil for, you know, seven years or six and a half years or whatever at that point. So he, I knew not, you know, forget everything involved in it. I needed to, for him, do a good job because if I was awful, then everyone would be like, Oh, you recommended this guy. You know, you wasted our time, man. This is what a drag, you know, <laughs> like it could, it could go that way. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like that's, that's a, a big thing to think about, but he, um, so, you know, I, he, so he threw me right in the middle of this whole thing. And I felt like I'd been preparing for this since I was 13. Okay. That in no way meant that I thought I was going to get it. At all. <laughs> but I felt like, I, I honestly felt like I could not have, I could not be more prepared 
to try to do this than I am. And then it, and then for me, it was, I, I'm going to do every single thing in my power to get this. I do not want for the rest of my life to think, Oh man, I should have practiced another two hours before the audition. Oh, I could have done this. Yeah. I, I wanted to, I, in that moment, I thought, I don't care if I sleep for the next however many days. Yeah. Like I want this gig and I don't want to, to you know, I don't want to be 65 going, Oh man, I, you know, I could have done this if I would have worked harder. So you had a short amount so, of time to go in and meet with him initially. So, yeah. So, well, so I asked Pete, I said, what, what do I need to do? And he said, you need to send two videos uh, you know, make a video of you playing two different Zappa songs. And I said, when? And he goes, yesterday. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> and he was like, he were like, everybody's looking like, you know, the, the whole band's putting out feelers. Like, you know, the gates are open. If you, you know, do it now. Now that said, it's not, you know, every day that you did, you know, that me at that point in time had, you know, I'm teaching, I had a, I had a baby, I had a one-year-old when this was going on. So, you know what that's like? Yeah. Um, so it's not like every day I was shedding, you know, uh, sinister footwear, you know, for (laughs) 10, for 10 hours a day or what, you know, or, you know, playing along the one size fits all of, you know, it's like that, you know, I had my, you know, my, my money gigs, I was teaching, had a baby, and so, you know, it's kind of filed back in my brain, but I was like, I need some time. Like, I need to go over this stuff. I'm not just going to shoot a video and send it in. So, so I called my wife. I told her what's going on. I said, okay, so I'm not leaving here. I'll see you tomorrow night. <laughs> and, uh, and I went into a practice room at MI. There was a window and you couldn't see the drums. It's kind of the way the room was designed. I was like, this is a good room. No one will know that I'm here all night. No one will know what I'm doing. And, um, and I stayed all night and I grabbed a student of mine who was shooting YouTube videos for other students. And I said, you can't tell anyone about this and I'll pay you whatever you want. And I need you to meet me tomorrow night at, uh, at midnight. And when everyone's gone and I want to shoot these videos and, you know, and just, and he was like, you got it. Like he was, you know, He's, he's a huge shout out to Mike Sassano. <laughs> so, nice. first, so, so he, so I stayed there and I picked two songs. So I picked, I picked Inca roads and I picked the black page number two, the 1988 uh, live version. Okay. Uh, which I had done on my recital at Indiana. Okay. It had been many years since said recital, but you know, it was like, it was in there. I was like, what could I, what could I do that was, you know, and I, I asked Peter, I was like, what, you know, what kind of tunes? He's like, really, really hard stuff. So he knows you can pull it off. Yeah. So I shot these videos. I sent them to Pete. He gave them to Dweezil. And then a couple of days later than, uh, later than Dweezil called me. And, and this, uh, to this day was, uh, maybe the most fascinating thing to me in the moment that I would, I did not expect is, uh, it ended up being like a one hour, uh, quiz about my knowledge of, of his dad. Oh, that's amazing. And like I said, I, I've essentially been preparing for this since I was 13 and I did not know this was going to happen. Pete didn't tell, like nobody told me he just called and, you know, he was like, tell me about my dad's music. Wow. So I told him, you know, 
you know, about my favorite records and, you know, I've listened to it since I was 13, transcribed a bunch of stuff, did on my recital in college, you know, been obsessed with it, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then he was like, you know, uh, who played drums on Zoodalers? You know, who's, who's your favorite, uh, drummer that might, that played with my dad. What's your favorite thing about Vinny? What's your favorite thing about Terry? Uh, what characteristics would you say, you know, go along with Chester Thompson? Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite track on Joe's garage? And it went on and, and it was about, you know, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes in. I remember, I remember looking at my wife who was sitting across the room. I remember thinking, huh. All right. I was like, okay, this is, this is, this was fascinating to me and it made sense, but it didn't hit me till that moment of he wanted someone that loved his dad's music. Yes. He didn't want somebody that was, you know, that was like, oh, I can learn this stuff. And, you know, I don't really care, but it's a gig and I'm going to do it because it's a gig. And he really wanted to find somebody that loved his dad. Hmm. And, and, um, and so it was about an hour long thing. And then as a, as a, 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 a sort of teaching point that he, uh, uh, two things he did ask at the end, which, which uh, sort of caught me by surprise in the moment, but now after touring for nine years, totally makes sense. He said, do you have a passport? Yeah. Do you, ha-? and so this, so to anybody listening out there that wants to do this, get a passport right now and have it ready to go. And if you have one, that's about to expire, renew it. Oh yeah. Because I, I, I have friends that have actually lost gigs because they've gotten a call and said, Hey, can you go to Germany tomorrow? And they can't because they don't have a passport and they've, they've lost the gig. Yeah. So he said, do you have a passport? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you have a, any criminal record? Because there's certain countries that if you yep. have a criminal record, you can't get into. Right. And and, and I don't <laughs> for anybody wondering. Uh, and he was like, okay, good. Because, uh, you know, we, you know, we're going to, you know, here's this giant list of countries, you know, we're going to go to, we don't need any, you know, problems at the border, you know, for, for entry. And he said, okay, I want to play. But yeah, so I was going to say, he asked you these questions, but it, the gig wasn't yours. He was just like, well, let's just get this out of the way. If you are my guy, I need to know these things. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, he, we had not played yet in person. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, I kept waiting to see what he's going to say. And then he said, he said, okay, I want to play with you after this, like, you know, around one hour and the passport thing and the, you know, everything. And he said, I want to play. And so then it was a whole, then... I said, when he said, I don't know. He said, he said, I'll, I'll, email, I'll text you. I'll email you, you know, whatever. And he said, and then I remember he said, I will email you a list of songs. Yeah. Now for anybody that doesn't know the catalog, there's a lot of songs <laughs> to choose from. I love that. No, I you just, can see, just, I have a, yeah. I have a C, you can see, you can see my CD rack. Like, the, like these two entire rows are all Frank, like these, all, yeah. all these rows. So, so, I mean, cause he was one of the most prolific composers of all time. I mean, in, in 26 years, he released 62 records. Yeah. And then since he passed away, there's, you know, been countless releases since then. I think there's, a, I mean, there's a hundred and something now. So I was like, I don't even know where to start. And I, and, you know, I asked him and he was like, oh, I'll send you a list. Yeah. So a week goes by no list, Ugh. like another few days go, And I called, Pete and I was like, what should I, what tunes, you know? And he, you know, and he's like, well, you know, look up the last, you know, go to YouTube, look up the last few shows that that have happened. Yeah. So you kind of know what we've been doing. 
and it might be some of those. <laughs> you know, he's like, but you maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And there was, and then so finally, uh, Dweezil calls me. He's like, hey, here's he, we pick a date to do it. So now the date's approaching. No song list. And then I finally thought. Well, maybe, maybe he, he emailed it and he, you know, their email address was wrong. Yeah. And, and I just didn't get it. Yeah. So then I texted him. I said, Hey, and I did not want to, I did not want to bother him at all. Oh, I know. Like yeah, I didn't want to, sure. you know, so I texted him. I said, Hey, I'm really sorry to bother you. Um, I didn't get the list yet. And he responds. He's like, yeah, it's cause I haven't sent you a list yet. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so then I get the list. And it was like around 40 hours or so before the audition. And it was these 10 unbelievably difficult tunes. And, and that's, and then I was like, okay, it's on. I was like, I'm not going to sleep between now and when, when I go there, because I'm not going to, you know, like I said earlier, I'm not going to lose out on this opportunity. And I locked myself in a room and I was teaching in the middle of this and I just, shedded and shedded and shedded oh and um and i got that uh if you don't know the app with the the app the amazing slowdown or app yep yep which is um, which at that until that point in time i was i was you know my students were always laughing i was, I was anti-slowdowner i was like no you don't need to do that just do it in real time and then all of a sudden i'm like yeah i think i need to download this app wow so I, I got a couple of things. There's a tune called Mogio that I got up, you know, like 85% of record speed, but there's nine other songs to work on. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do all this stuff. I go in, we play. So and, I, and I thought, well, sorry, man, were you, is this just repetition? Were you writing anything down? Great question. So most of the tunes I had already just from listening and being a fan forever, I knew. Yeah. Even though they were really crazy, I just, I knew them. Um, the ones like Mogio that I mentioned um, that I had listened to a million times, but I had never, I didn't have a chart for it. I, I transcribed it. Okay. So I transcribed Chad Wackerman's part, note for note, and then just started running it and running it and running it. So, but, so then a few other ones I made like form charts. Yeah. Um, and there, there were two or three that I did like actual note for note transcriptions. I mean, in, again, in the interest of time, because it was, there was not a lot of time, uh, before the audition and, uh, just started going through these. And I'm a very visual person too, where even, you know, the four, if I can see it, if I can write it and get it out on yes. paper and see it, then I, then it helps me internalize it yes. way, way faster. Me too. I think a lot, a lot of us are like, that. I have a lot of drummer buddies like that. Mm. Um, so then I, then I went in and did the audition and, and I thought it went really well. It was funny in the middle of it. Um, uh, Sheila Gonzalez, the, uh, amazing multi-instrumentalist in the band. She, she looked at me and she goes, she goes, Hey Ryan. And I, I had met her like 10 years before, but I didn't know her. I didn't know her very well. You know, it wasn't like we were really good friends, but in the middle of the audition, she looks at me and she goes, Hey Ryan. Go, yeah. And she goes, take a deep breath. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, thank you. <laughs> Cause I hadn't, I hadn't slept for two days. Oh my gosh. And I'd just been shedding all this stuff and she, and I got in there and she could tell that I was, you know, on 11. Yeah. And she, and, and that was a massive help. That was a good reminder for me in the moment, literally yes. in the moment to like, take it, like step out for a second, take a deep breath, relax, 
uh, we laugh about that moment to this day. I, I was going to ask, yeah. I was like, I wonder if that's become an inside thing now between you. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I did it and it, and it went, and it went as well as it could have gone. And, you know, my, like I, there's, I couldn't have prepared more, yes. you know, it, you know, and so, and then, and then on the way out in the audition, I remember, uh, so one of my records, and if, if, if nobody, uh, knows this record check this record out but it's a, a dweezil solo record called confessions which i got when it came out in 91 and it's it's josh freeze yeah and it's one of my favorite it's always been one of my favorite records forever and so when when i was leaving the room i said to him i said hey by the way i also know all of your solo stuff because i've been a fan of your solo stuff and i and i had i'd had all of his records for years yeah and i thought you know, I don't know if this will help at all, but you know, just you know, I just remember saying, you know, "Hey, by the way, you know, if you ever want to do any of that stuff, I know that. Like, I, you know, I could play Confessions right now because yeah. I've listened to it a zillion times and played along with it after school and in high school and stuff." So I left, and I didn't know what happened. And then I, um, you know, that excruciating weight of, you know, am I going to be contacted again? <laughs> Or not, and then and then uh, you know I waited for the guy to go after me, who then I listened to in the parking lot, and he's crushing it. I'm like, oh wow, you know, <sighs> okay. So so then I get a call from Dweezil. He's like, hey, I, I want to do a callback, and and it, and it was on Easter. I remember it was on Easter. Speaking of holidays, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was on Easter Sunday, and he's like, so I want to do those ten songs. I'm going to add two songs, and. Uh, yeah, I'll see, I'll see you then. And so then same thing, didn't sleep, practice, kept shedding those original 10, added the, the other two, went in. And then after that was done, then he said, okay, I'm going to play you a riff. When you figure out how to play with it, jump in with me as soon as you figure it out. Wow. And, and of course, not, nothing was in four. Yeah. It was in all kind. you know, the first one, I, I've, I don't remember what they were, but it was not in four. The first one was like in seven. The next one was 11. The next one was in 13. And so then we do it. And then, uh, he'd stop and he'd go, okay, now do it again, but do it reggae. Ready? Count us in. Go, go. Jesus. It was like this, and it, and it, you know, I realized it was like this rapid fire, you know, Hey, how fast, what's, how fast can you figure this out? How fast can you come up with a part for it? Now reggae, you know, now fusion, yeah, you know, and, all, and naming all these other styles. Um, so we did that. I thought it went again as well as like it, it could have gone. And then, and then, like two weeks went by, and uh, and I thought, well, I didn't get it, but that's okay because mm-hmm. I did everything that I could have done. Yes, and if it's not in the cards, then that's fine. You know, I I, I'm, I can live with myself for how you know, the prepared, the preparedness level that I was at. And then I get a call from him two weeks later and I can, I can show you right where I was standing on Magnolia Boulevard in Burbank when he called <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he called and he said, Hey Ryan, it's Dweezil. The Good. gig's yours. Do you want it? Nice. And that, and, uh, and that's, yeah, so that's the, uh, that's the story of how all that, and there's a, all that went down. There's but, a bronze uh, historical marker on that road right there. <laughs> Ryan Brown receives call from Dweezil <laughs> on this spot. <laughs> I was pushing my daughter in her stroller. And you, 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 and yeah, that's great. And you, yeah, <laughs> so. you jump with joy. You pushed her into traffic. Yes, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, I, and and I we know the we know the ending to that story. We know you got the gig, but I think to me the most important thing was you kept reminding yourself, I will not let this opportunity go by the wayside. I will do everything within my power to make this happen and and work super hard. And then on the back end, I don't know if I got the gig, but it doesn't matter because I did everything that I needed to do. And I think that's the most important thing because so many times we, we want to... F- place blame on something else and why our lives aren't going the way they should go. And it's like, you took ownership, so much ownership to this, to the point where you were okay if you didn't get the gig. That to me is amazing, man. Well, thank you. And, um, yeah, and, and I, I really was, I really was, uh, you know, cause the two weeks went by and it was like day 10 and I thought, there's no, like so much time has gone by. I didn't get it. And yeah. And I, and I was, and I, I really was totally, totally okay with that. And it was, you know, now this gig, you know, again, this is totally dream gig for me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, and, and the fact that the opportunity came along at all, yeah. uh, you know, and I, there's no way I was going to, you know, squander it, but, um, you just, you just never, you never know what's going to happen. No. And, and, you know, what's, and what's going to fall in your lap and, and, you know, just trying to be ready for any, you know, for those scenarios when they do happen. I feel like one huge thing that helped me huge was my first move to LA. I started doing session stuff. I started, so I started playing in a band. I played in a band for, for years uh, named Owl. Yeah. Um, Owl's still around. Now, okay. and I and I've and I've been playing uh, with with the, uh, the lead with Chris Wise, the leader again. Uh, in the last year, we've been doing a, a different project, but we started playing together in '02, uh, and then he had a producer that I met that was producing the band, and then that producer, uh, Michael Reed, is his name, and he after uh, we were working on a song one day, he was like, "Hey, do you want to do other stuff aside from just the band stuff?" I was like, "We." Well, yeah yeah like please like that's yeah you know why that's like why i moved to la like that you know like that'd be amazing and so and so one of the massive things i learned from michael was and i was young and he was like okay come over tomorrow and he's like i have this publishing deal with disney we're gonna do this song i'm like cool Uh, you know thank you so much you know can you send it to me he's like no no i'm not gonna send it to you just come in yeah so i go in and i hadn't heard it and i this is my first experience with any of this which which I, i think is set me up set me up massive for a success in the dweezil situation and and others and but so i went in and so he you know he's like here's the song i'm gonna play it for you now he and i have become good friends and he, this was 100 a test and i did not realize it at all in the moment yeah and it was in o2 and he's like here's the song i'm like cool and it ends he goes all right go play it and i'm like what <laughs> he's like he's like i gave you your listen go play the song <laughs> and i remember and and we were we were friends right i remember and he like all of a sudden had this like teaching demeanor and i was like oh no and i was like i want and he was like do you want and and he and it was all like by design by him he, he was like do you want to do this for a living i was like yeah and he goes i'm gonna let you hear it again and then you're gonna go play it are you ready <laughs> i was like and I, I remember in my head, I was like, 
okay, yeah, hold on. Let me get a sheet of paper. And he's like, okay, no problem. He's like, here's your lesson. Space bar. Song ends. He's like, all right, let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. And that was the first, and like you read stories, but until you're in that moment, yeah, like you can't understand. And it was great for me because it was zero pressure. It was my friend. It was just him and me in his house. It wasn't like at Capitol Records and there's five engineers, you know, and, you know, and he rented out time. You know, it was, a, it was a, the perfect relaxed atmosphere for me to realize, oh, shit, I need to figure out how to do this. And I need to do it right now or I'm never going to come back here ever again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and he and I talked to him about it. He, he actually teaches at MI. Okay. Now also. And so I've, you know, thanked him for this a million times and you know, it was all in, it was all by design by him. I didn't realize it. And then we did it and he's, and he was the first one that did that for me. So my point is, is when I teach, I do this with my students, I will say, okay, you're going to come in on Friday. I'm going to play you a song. You get one listen and we're going to track it. But I tell them a week in advance. I'm like, so what you can do for the next week is, Every day, pick some songs, start with songs you know that you maybe haven't played or something you've heard on the radio or you've heard while shopping for groceries. Pick some song, give yourself one listen, and mm-hmm. then play along and see how you do. Yeah. And then I'll throw them in that scenario so they're ready. So then, however many years later, when whatever opportunity arises, and it's, I mean, and we, we've, this has happened to both of us a million times where somebody calls and says, Oh, I have this stomach flu. Can you sub this gig for me tonight? You need to learn 37 songs by eight o'clock. Yeah. You know, or whatever it is. And you're like, what, how, how do you do that? You know? So you just get, get in that kind of headspace of just learning stuff really, really, really quick. Well, I mean, one of, one of the, one of the gigs that I do regularly is, is play downtown Nashville and people will make song requests and somebody's and one or two people in the whole group of four or five know the song. And, you know, I've got, I've got my phone plugged into my mixer with my inner mix and, uh, you know, that I use for a click or whatever. And I've got Spotify there. And, uh, so like somebody wanted some random Weezer song the other night. And, uh, so I, you know, they're like, they looked at me and so I said, hold on just a second. You know, they're discussing what key, what they want to do. Meanwhile, I mean, the place was jumping people. Let's go, let's go. I'm like listening to the intro, jump into the chorus and I have the tempo. I have the feel. I know what, how it starts. And so that's great. You know, and a lot of us do that and, and you can't do that all night long, but at the same time, yeah. I know enough to be like, okay, that's enough information for me to get this going and to, for, for us to entertain right now, entertain the, and, and, and give the person what they want. So as soon as I know that tempo, I'm internalizing it. I hear the groove, I hear the pattern and, you know, I know where it's going to go and, you know, they know I don't know it. So they're going to like watch me for pushes and stops and, you know, and all this stuff. And, and we'll figure out an ending when we get there. But that, but what I've learned is you don't sit there and mull it over. You just fucking get to it and you be like, yes. okay, got it. Here we go. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, and just go. And, and yes. man, that confidence, not, not, not being like belligerent, but just like, I'm a I'm setting it up. Here we go. And people love it. They just love that. 
Yes. And anybody listening, that's one of the best lessons ever. And I, and I do, there's, there's a live band karaoke gig. I do sometimes yes. I do exactly what you do, what you just said. Cause I like, there's, I'm not going to like, n- nobody has time to prepare like 580 songs on the karaoke list or whatever the yeah. insane number. So yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. What you said is killer. Yeah, the, the, there's an inside joke between me and another guy because he picks it up from another friend. And he'll be like, "I don't know if," I, and he'll go, "You know it," because it could be some <laughs> song that you grew up with that you heard in the grocery store, like you said. I've never played this song before, and he just shakes his head and throws his hand out because you know it. And it's like, come on, it's it's Western pop music. Come on, intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, solo, chorus, chorus, out. Let's go. Come on, right. Go. <laughs> it's not like play yeah. this in seven reggae. Now, it, let me ask you real quick. When, when Dweezil was throwing yeah. that, that out at you, were you, had you already uh, had experience with the band Fuxedo? Yes. That's a, that's a great question. Because yes. that, that band uh-huh. is super random and jumps all around and reminds me of Brave Combo and some other things like that. And that, um, so that, so this band, the Fuxedos I've done, um, for a long time since like, Oh five or something like that. Yeah. We played last weekend actually. Wow. And it, and it's very like avant-garde Frank Zappa, proggy, uh, theatrical and it's, and, and it's not like, I cannot take my eyes off of the leader because there's constant cues he will stop at any given moment. I actually, I learn. I remember, I'll never forget. I was playing at a club here, CIA, this club in North Hollywood, I don't know, 15 years ago, whatever. And that was the last time I didn't look at him on stage. Yes. Because, because then he like, he did something and I was like looking at the bass player laughing. And then he looked back and, and, and we're, and we're best friends, but he looked at, he looked at me and I was like, oh, I was like, Oh shit, I missed something. And then I still wasn't ready. I didn't have a stick in my hand and he did it again. And I went to hit the floor, Tom, and I missed and hit the rim oh. with my thumb, <laughs> which we've all done. Yeah. And Oh God, it was like, you know, like lightning shooting up your arm. Yeah. And so it was like fail, fail. And, and since that moment, I've never taken my eyes off of him. <laughs> That's so, Ever. it's so important. I've gotten in such the habit. It's so funny because this, this guy that I play with regularly who gives great cues and we do lots of material that n- nobody knows. And I mean, it's just constant. They're throwing out new songs right and left. I went to see him at a, at a record release party last Sunday night. With and it was a, I was I was just there as a listener and supporter. I wasn't playing, and uh, he with the crowd. He kind of wasn't in my view, uh, singing. I was I could I could see the drummer, so that was fun. I was watching him and kind of hanging out. But when the end of the solo guitar solo started happening, when I felt like it was coming to a close, or the end of the song was coming to a close, I found myself careening my head to look at him to say, "Oh, here comes the cue." I mean, I am just simply a, a passive listener and, 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 you know, and I'm in the audience, but I'm literally love watching him like, oh, here comes the end of the song. I'm pretty sure he's done with this, uh, this head. He's coming, coming back around to the top and let me make sure. Yep. Oh, there it is. And I'm like, what are you doing? 
dude, just enjoy. Drink your beer and, sh- and stop. But, you know, I'm constantly, you know. I love that. Yes. Oh, yeah. T- like, totally. Like, I-, I joke with students all the time that, like, I'll be at the grocery store and I'll be, I'll be like, okay, do I want strawberry yogurt or blueberry yogurt? That was a nine bar bridge in that song, Blueberry. <laughs> <laughs> like, nine bar like, song, Blueberry. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, 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 constantly, that exactly what you said. I love that. I love, yeah. It's like we're like so programmed to, to that. Um, and, and yeah, and the, and the Fuxitos thing, which is one of my favorite projects ever, uh, like we, um, so it was so great to, as a, a training tool for the Dweezil thing too, because it's nonstop hand signals in that. Like I cannot look oh, away really? from him. Okay. Like ever either. Like there's all, you know, like pinky means one thing, you know, this fist might mean you go into the Halloween theme, oh, you know, uh, you know, two, two might mean we're going to go into seven. Uh, like, uh, one show, uh, like I, and every night is completely different. Like one, one day we were on the bus and became obsessed with hold on loosely by 38 special. Yeah, yeah. So then that night there was a whole, uh, th- uh, hold on loosely hand cue and it would go in the middle of, we'd be like cruising in the middle of some tune hand cue, boom, hold on loosely <laughs> hand cue out back into the song. Yeah. Like, so yeah, it's like. Yeah, it's funny. It's so funny you said that because yeah, we're, uh, we're so programmed to like never, <laughs> never look away. So I know, I know that Dweezil is 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 choosing certain versions of songs that he wants to do. I mean, like how married is he with this? I mean, it sounds like the set list could change at any moment. Um, he's pulling from a large catalog even while on tour. I mean, it sounds like you have to be on your toes constantly. Definitely is it's definitely an on your toes constantly situation. Um, and I and I love uh, I love so what he does is he'll make a file like a three we normally do like around three hours straight no break. So mm-hmm. he'll make like a three hour MP3 where he'll cut everything together of all the versions that he wants in in order. And a lot of them have really cool segues. Or one one song will end early because it will go into another song. It'll go into the the eighty four version of you know whatever tune seamlessly, you know coming out of a random seventy eight bootleg version of another song. Wow! And so he spends tons of time like curating this amazing set list, and then once and then for whatever tour it is for whatever that song is, it will remain normally it'll remain like this okay. is the 82 version of this song but then there will be other songs that could come up at any moment yeah um and and drastic tempo like tempo change he might turn around like his dad did this too where he'll turn around and he'll be like all right he'll be like hey let's do this but let's do it like 30 bpm faster today <laughs> that's amazing and then when then we'll just you know just blaze through it um so yeah you never you literally never know what's going to happen yeah, yeah. Which, which is so fun. Okay. Because every night's completely different. Like you never know what's going to happen. Well, I know that one of the things that Dweezil quizzed you about was just knowledge of different drummers and different styles and um, be able to pull from those very distinct drummers that we all know and love. Um, I'm a huge Chad Wackerman fan. I just, yeah. I, I mean, I'm such a yeah. huge fan of Alan Holdsworth and, 
um, years ago at Columbus Pro Percussion, where I, I worked there for about five years. And oh, cool! Um, with with Jim Rupp, not the not Rupp's yep. drums, but Jim Rupp at uh, Columbus yeah. That's I've, I've met Jim, I've met Jim. Yeah, yeah. And, awesome. and 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 Chad came through, and and they and Jim said, "Hey, listen, I know you just this is what ninety seven, ninety eight. I know you just bought this new DW drum set." You're the only one that has all the sizes that Chad needs. Can he borrow your kit for the clinic? And, uh, of course, we'll get you all new heads. He plays Evans. He'll send him up. And I'm like, hell yes, of course. So he, you know, 10, 12, what was it? 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, I think I had at the time, 22. And so it was, it was really cool. Um, and then he did his clinic and then left and the store closed. And I shut the, I shut and locked the door, turned the lights off, had a coffee and a big chocolate chip cookie and sat and played on my drums that Chad had tuned with all the beautiful Peisty cymbals on it for like the next four hours in the drum store yeah. by myself, drove home at like three or four in the morning, elated. Um, so I didn't mean to go off on that tangent, but th my question is, are you conscious of like, okay, this was Chad on this version. This was Terry on this version or, Vin, you know, like, okay, this is a signature thing that I know that Terry Basio does. I'm going to channel that. Or this is a signature thing that I know Vinny does on this version. Uh, is that ever a conscious choice or something that you took into account, maybe even in the early years? Um, so first of all, that your that story is amazing. Yeah, um, I like that. I like those, those are those magical things that you just like you never know are going to happen, and then that happens. And how cool is that? that it you was got those, so fun. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love that. I mean, those are those moments that those are the you know life changing moments. Those are those are really cool. Um, so yes, uh, so so he'll send us this show file, and then I will transcribe the whole thing. Mm. And then, and then the, the fun challenge is, you know, if we're doing whatever tune it is and it's, you know, and it could be a tune that Vinny played on originally, but the version we're doing is chat. Yes. So, you know, it can be, it can even be kind of a, a mix like that, but I will go after initially. And then, so when we rehearse, we, we do seven hours a day, every day for like a month yeah. before we go out. Oh my God. And so, so there's a, there's a lot of time to, to like, to get used to it and experiment with it and change a couple things and see how something feels. And, and so maybe I will do how Chad played it, but this one spot, yeah. nah, I'm going to do what Vinny did. Oh. Do the the Vinny thing here, but but to your to your point, I I will transcribe all of it, and then I one hundred percent will go after what they what they did with, with kind of like my own little flair on it. But um, but yes, because for me, I mean, if I were in the crowd as I was, you know, for you know probably fifteen times before, that's what I would want. I'd be like, oh, you know, I want to hear that Bozio thing there because that's the shit. You know, like, right, I, you know, right. like I would want that, that very specific thing. So, so I write it all out and then, and then I'll go after that. And a big thing that I've gotten into also for years ago is watching video, phys forget what they sound like, but physically how people move and what their, how their posture is, what their arms look like. 
I got way into this years ago. Uh, I'm a huge King's X fan. Uh-huh. And I went to see King's X and I was watching Jerry Gaskill, who's one of my favorite drummers. And I was watching him and I was thinking, I wonder, this is the House of Blues in LA when it was still here. I thought, I wonder if I move more like he does, will I sound more like him? Because I love this guy. Yes. And so I remember I went home and I was like trying to like visualize how like he, okay, he's playing dog man. How is he like he, I watched him do it. He's moving his arm like this. And I recorded myself and I was like, okay, I honestly feel like it sounds 25% more like it did when I, than when I played it last week, because I'm trying to move like him. Yes. Yes. And another huge guy, uh, you know, that's, I know you'll realize instantly too, is Dennis Chambers. Cause he's just like planted uh-huh. and it's like torso moving. And it's like, so I got way into this thing, way, way into it. Well, if anybody I try to, you know, cop the feel of. So then with the Zappa stuff, then I'll watch and have, you know, tons of Bozio stuff. I'm like, okay, so we're going to do, yeah, uh, you know, cruising for burgers from live in New York. Okay. Now, now I'm going to visualize what would he look like doing it? Forget what he's doing uh, part wise. And you could probably see his body because he wasn't wearing probably, too many clothes in the first place. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> he was normally shirtless, so that yeah. helps. Uh, so, so that and then and then like you know the early Vinny stuff. You know when he sat super low and his knees are uh. up and everything's super high in the air. Like you know like back then. Um, if you haven't seen any of those videos or pictures, check out like those or the early Vinny stuff. I mean, it's just, it's a total, he physically is completely different than he is today. Yeah. And then Chad, Chad, you know, like, you know, like perfect posture. So, so if you ever watch me do it, like I am 100% trying to like channel physically those guys mm-hmm. in addition to whatever licks they're doing and the chinas and the stacks and the bells and whatever else is going on. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and I feel like it, it helps, it helps me immensely get in the headspace of what they're doing. But, but also I feel like I said with the, the, with the Jerry Gaskill thing, I feel like, okay, I, it's like 25% more like them, you know, just try, just trying to move like they do. So, I remember seeing seeing King's X and Jerry just swinging his left arm down in between backbeats, and the arm would swing down almost behind him, and then up, and then snare, and then down and back behind him. I mean, it was just constantly moving. It was amazing to see that, you know. And I was far away in a in an outdoor arena. I was like, "What is going on here?" So that's funny. So that yeah. that was exactly what went through my, the first time I saw him. I, I remember thinking, what is going on here? I remember having that same thought, yeah. that exact same thought. Yeah. And I, and I, and I was with my best friend, Mike Dupke, phenomenal drummer. Mike and I were both, we were both just staring. We were like, wow, like we need to, yep. we need to be more like Jerry. Like what, you know, and he's like constantly moving, constantly swinging and da- dancing. And it's, yeah. And and it's he's so good, and so that's funny. You had that same experience, yeah, yeah. Because he was that for that was the the first guy that I that made me realize like I should think about this physicality thing. I think it's it's that, that it's so great that you bring that up, uh, Zach, my co-host, and I have been talking a lot about that. Um, 
the last couple of years as, as, as we're all trying to kind of like retool our physical approach so we can continue to play and beat the shit out of drums, uh, well in, in, into our, uh, you know, senior years, whatever, and, and do it pain-free and injury-free. And, and, you know, I, so I, I took a lesson from Dave Elich. I signed up to his online course and I even commented on Dave's Instagram post a few weeks ago that I'm sitting there and I'm scrolling through Instagram and I don't have the sound on, but I'm watching him play. And I just, I'm like, I don't even need the sound on. I, I'm, I'm inspired by this. And I wrote in the comment, I said, I just feel like I get so much from watching you. And we've had him on a couple times on the podcast, which has been great. He's so gracious with his time. Um, I, I, all I have to do is just watch him for a few minutes. And then it reminds me of what he's trying to teach me. It reminds me of what I'm trying to take away from him just by watching. And now that we have this ability to watch and like we should, man, it's such a physical thing, whether it's like you want to be more like the way Chad Wackerman is sitting or Dave, what Dave Elitch is trying to put forth or you want to channel Kenny Arnoff because you're playing something he played on, or you want to sound like him for this track, I'm going to be moving my head around back and forth. You know what I'm saying? And like, totally. I'm going to be, okay, this track needs Kenny. I'm going to be Kenny for this track and move like him. And you, you know, because you, you studied with him at IU. Everything you said, ex- yes, exactly. Like I think about all that, all the stuff, all, you know, all the time. And, and to your point, I think like, so uh, I'm 46, and so there was no, you know, there were the VHS videos we all had. And you were still play drums at your age? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. How do you do it? <laughs> um, and, and it's like it's so different today. Like with you, I mean, you hear people say this all the time, but it's but but for us, like we didn't have that. It was like nope. you know we had our stack of eight VHS tapes, and over short and over. of going to a concert, that was it. Yeah, which is so crazy to think about that. So I feel like you know it, it just never presented itself to me as a thing. No, because it, what you couldn't you could only hear hear it. Yeah. But now you can go on and I mean you can watch every King's X concert from probably the last like seven years today. But, but maybe that makes such an impression because because like you, I saw Rush on the Presto tour and Mr. Big was opening up for them. And I remember watching Pat Torpy. Yes, I see. <laughs> uh, and I I had a chance to interview a Pat Torpy about this and he remembers the show that I was at because it was at a baseball diamond and he and Getty got the glove, got the mitt and the, the ball out and were throwing throwing the baseball back and forth together. But I didn't want to like Mr. Big. I was there to see Rush. I was there to see Neil. But I, I thought they were great. I thought Pat moved around the kit so fluidly and amazingly that I, I've, and I told Pat this too. I said, I felt bad how much I loved watching you play. And then Neil came out and did his thing and it, we, we loved it, but it didn't have that same fluid movement that you had. And that made such an impression upon me. 
there's so many moments like that, right? Those impressionable moments. And, and by the way, I had, I had to hold up, uh, and, and show him my, uh, the presto poster I bought on June 22nd, 1990. That's framed behind me. Yes. 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 Uh, that's yeah. Um, yeah. Like those, uh, when it's funny too. So uh, totally honest, Primus was the other opening band. Okay. And, and I'm a diehard Primus fan and I, and there was no way to find out. Right. Cause you know, there was no, there was no, we couldn't find out who was opening before there was no internet yet. And so I was praying it would be Primus <laughs> for, for that show. Yeah. And, I, and, and I remember walking in and, and then I realized it wasn't Primus. I was like, Oh man, it's not Primus. And then they played and then yes. And then having the same, mm-hmm. just like watching him play and, be, and being just unbelievably pleasantly surprised. Yep. yep. But, and I didn't, and, and the first time I hadn't heard them, ever i didn't know anything about them at all yeah i knew that it was billy sheehan and you know yeah so eat him and smile and skyscraper and right you know but but i i didn't know anything about mr big and i, and I remember thinking that the, the same thing that you did yeah and it's and those those moments are so huge and i think about that when i do clinics now whenever there's kids there yeah and how big of an impression that it has uh, I mean, cause I can, I can list off every clinic I went to from the time I was like 11 to 14. I could rattle them all off right now because all of them were so, you know, inspirational and influential to me. That's amazing. So I, I, you know, I always think of that whenever I'm doing a clinic and I'm always looking out and there's, you know, some kid, you know, whatever, 16 and under or whatever. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, you know, these, they're never going to forget this. That's, it's, it's, it's easy to forget that stuff, whether it's people just walking through and listening to you or, you know, especially if you're in a situation where there, it, there's young people watching and, and they, they could be aspiring musicians or drummers or whatever. And you have to remind yourself of those experiences that impacted us and, and, and much in a very positive way, you know, and, and yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Passing that along. Totally, I, I, and part part of it for me too. And I'm not I'm not going to say who it was, but there was a guy who was who was uh, not extremely well known, but but very well known when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And he did a clinic, and um, and he was not cool. He mm-hmm. was not cool. And I remember I remember thinking, I want to love this guy. I love this band. I don't like this guy because he was not cool yeah at all sucks. during during the whole thing and then so I, that's always in my mind like just how impressionable it is now with this guy in particular years later this was crazy i ended up meeting him yeah and he was like the nicest guy in the world and i said to him i said hey do you remember doing a drum clinic yeah for bob rupp at rupp's drums in denver and i didn't even finish my sentence and he goes Oh my God, that was the worst day of my life. And I was wow. like, what? I was like, what, what are you talking about? And, he, and he's, he's like, yeah, we, we were on the road and we'd been out for like seven months and I couldn't sleep at all. I hadn't slept in like five. And I was like, you remember this client? Like from, you know, like 30 years. He was like, oh yeah. He's like, I, I remember it. Cause I felt horrible. Oh he was my like, gosh. I felt, and, 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 and that was a huge wake up call too. Right. Cause it was like, he was a nice guy, but he just had a, like you have a bad, everybody has a bad day. Yes. Yes. And, yes, so, yes. and so and he, and I was with my wife and she, she knew this. I told her the story a million times. And I remember I saw him and I was like, Oh, here, you know, I'm going to ask him about this clinic. You know, 
and he, and then I felt really bad. I was, you know, and he, he was, and he was like, yeah, I had, you know, I, I, been, I can't remember what it was. He was like, I had the stomach flu the day before I had food poisoning or something. And, oh. and then the back line didn't show up. And then the taxi didn't show up on time to bring me to the clinic. And like, he remembered the whole thing. Oh my gosh. And so that, that was also, that was equally as big of a wake up call for me yes. too, to be like, even if you are having a bad day, like pat like for the 15 and under crowd at the clinic power through and don't because that because for 30 years i was like this guy mm-hmm. is not cool and yeah. then you know so like you just you never know well there's the other end of it it's like you when you have that interaction with somebody it could be a complete stranger it's like man i don't know what's going on in their life I have no yeah, idea. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which goes back to your point about balancing, like the balance of yeah. the of the whole thing and like and road being on the road and you know what, uh, what that entails, which is a whole separate thing of being on a bus, you know. The, yeah, yeah. G- and, going in the front lounge and, and, and the bass player's just nasty and then storms off and like, okay, that's probably not about me. Something's going on and I know this guy. Or yeah, extending grace because man, that Boy, you, we, I know we've been around yeah. people that just like feel like everyone's out to get them, and it's like, dude, there's a lot going on in this world these days, and uh, we need to extend a lot of grace uh, to people around us, whether we know them or not. Because uh, yeah, right, yeah, it's, yeah, we don't need to expel that much energy. I, I got two really quick things, man. You're, t- I've so appreciate this. It's been so fun. Just, just all this. I feel like we can talk. Uh, which we could talk. I, you can't even see. I'm in, in, in my studio. I don't have my drum set up, but in here, uh, quite yet. I've kind of redesigned the whole thing. But I've got like my my little corner over here. My 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 Neil corner with with some books and and my oh, my cool. son's girlfriend made a star man for me. And so I've got my got my calendar. My I, I found a a um, grace under pressure calendar 2022 calendar it's all grace under pressure it's amazing no way <laughs> so amazing. amazing every i'm just awesome. like i love every picture it's so so i love that, <laughs> that the way they looked in that era oh god so you know my favorite and the super super red tama kit um love it love it yeah it just resonated with me so i i wanted to ask you about recording with alex lifeson Yes. Was he? Was that with him? Was he there? Or so this is. So and for the listeners, this is for me. This is for me. <laughs> this question is for me. Um. So the uh, the artist uh, is one of my really good friends, Karam Maliki Sanchez. So he yeah. just goes by Karam K E R A M. Yeah. Uh, and we've worked together for a long, long time. Um. And he, uh, Karam, was an actor. Uh, as well as being a phenomenal musician, and he shot a movie with Alex. And is this the horror became, film? They became friends. Uh, um, uh, no, okay. I'm trying to remember the name of the. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I should know the name of it because there's a new um, movie out that 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 Alex has a cameo in. That's like some sort of horror film. The, no, it's a. It's okay. a, This is uh, like oh, okay, nah, or no. 2000 yeah this is a few years ago okay um so that so they do they do this this shoot together uh and they and they became really close and they bonded over music and um and then through the course of them hanging out then then karen played alex a whole bunch of stuff uh that we've been working on because i've been working with karen for years now uh 
the the fun side note to this is that in the middle of all this, Karim did not realize it was Alex Lifeson. <laughs> so he so he it was uh, on the call sheets and everything. It said Big Al. Yeah. And Karim was a giant Rush fan, but had but you know hadn't seen any videos for probably ten years. Okay. And so I hadn't seen a picture of Alex, wow. you know, and, and it was so out of left field. It was, you know, like he, you know, he's, he wouldn't be acting in this movie. You know, he just, and, and, and Alex never mentioned that he was in a, a band Good either. Lord. So that, that's like the real, the really fun thing. The fun part of the story is like they, Karam had zero idea. And then they, then there was a rap party in Toronto and he still didn't know. And then this guy came up to them at the rap party and and walked up to the table and was like, and was like, it was like an Italian restaurant or somewhere and said and said, Alex, I can't believe you're here. My my wife and I are here. I, I left her. I went home and grabbed my records. Oh my uh, gosh! Can you please sign these? And Karam in that moment was like, Wait, what? He was like, Huh? And so he so so they became they became really close. And he had, like I said, he uh, Karam played Alex the stuff that we've been working on. Yeah. They leave the shoot, and then about a couple of weeks later, Alex calls Karam. He's like, "Hey, what's going on with that stuff? Why aren't you finishing that yeah. that record?" And Karam was like, "Well, I just haven't had time." He's like, "I can't stop singing those songs. You need to finish it. I'll help you. I want to play on it." Oh my gosh! Yeah. Now I had no clue any of that happened. So 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 Karam gets home from Toronto, back to LA from Toronto. And uh, he calls me. It was hilarious. He's like, "Hey, I need you to come to my apartment." And uh, Ryan, it's and I, time. I, I, it's, yeah, yeah, essentially, yes. And, and I'm like, "Why?" I'm like, "Why do I?" He, he lives. I mean, he's like, he's you know, 15 minutes away, or whatever. He, and I'm like, "Why do I need to go over there? Can you, you can't tell me over the phone." He's like, "I can't tell you over the phone. You need to come to my apartment." Mm-hmm. Like, why? He's like, "Shut up. Get in your car." And I'm like, "Okay, okay, okay, okay." So I go over there and he tells me the whole story and my jaw's like on the floor. I'm like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So I did drum tracks for that in 07, like way. And I, I, I need to figure out what year this was probably 2011. So it was, and he'd been so busy doing all that. He acts all the time and he'd been so busy. He hadn't had time to finish it. So so my stuff was already done, like way done, <laughs> like it'd yeah, been, a year, yeah, yeah. been four years or whatever it had been. So, so Karim is originally from Toronto. So he took the tracks to, uh, Alex and they did it. I was not there when they did that and they did it, but they sent it to me and he lined up guitar lines with fills that I had played years prior. And I will not lie. I started to cry. Oh. Like when I heard this for the first time, yeah. being, I mean, yeah. being a, you know, diehard rush fan since the time I was 14. And, and I was just uh, literally overwhelmed with this. Like how, like wh- what, like how did this even happen? You know? Yeah. And I remember in the, there's a line in the song, it's called moving dark circles. And we played this song live. Karen and I, I, you know, countless times, you know, hotel cafe and other venues around LA and, I just always done this fill, and then all of a sudden, there's Alex plays this guitar line lined up with this fill. I'm like, what are you talking about? So it was, you know, very emotional, and uh, 
so he plays on three songs on the record. I was not there. One of the ones uh, was was Karim's drummer that lives in Toronto. So two of the of, of them I I played on. And then Karim's like, all right, I want to do a, a record release show in Toronto, and Alex is going to be in town, and he wants to play with us. Oh, and I man. was I was like, uh, what? <laughs> so so. I met him before that. It was I was actually the night before the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction with the infamous blah 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 oh, blah, get blah, out. blah blah blah. Wow. So so the first time I met him, we went to dinner the night before that. Yeah. Uh, uh, here in L.A. and hung out all night. I had the best the best time ever. I had him sign a record that's on the wall. I had him sign Power Windows. It's over here. Um, and, and at that point, I didn't know if I would see him again like i didn't you know i just didn't know and then since then i've been lucky enough to see him a number of times and uh we did a rehearsal in toronto we did a show that show in toronto and then he's played on a few more songs since then including one that i did drums for two weeks ago that Uh, that no one's even heard yet so um same group same group same yes yeah yeah it's just it's just amazing uh collaboration between karim and and uh me and alex and uh a number of other la and toronto musicians that karim has assembled this great group of people and then alex uh will just send us guitar tracks for stuff which is still mind-blowing to me that's um, amazing man so there was a uh, there were two on that first record mary magdalene and moving dark circles on the record called come to life that i played on and then um there's another one he did um called the devil knows me well with the drummer from toronto and then there's a song we've done since then called ai which uh, i started playing uh, uh, around la with carmine rojas Mm-hmm. Uh, bass player uh, for uh, the played with Bowie on Let's Dance, yeah, uh, and did that the Serious Moonlight tour and all that. So that that was super fun, kind of to do worlds collide for me. So I got Carmine on that. So it's so so <laughs> it's, it's funny even saying it out loud. So it's me, Carmine, and Alex Lyson. Get out! Um, That's insane. You know, with man. with with care with Karim doing all of his insane magic over it. That's that's awesome. And our really good friend Mark Thomas, amazing guitar player here in LA, and some other guys. And uh, so then this new song is called Rook, which it's uh, R U K H, and it's the song that Karim wrote around a. There was a TikTok video of a guy somewhere in Eastern Europe, uh, like a. a uh, uh, he was laying like concrete tiles and he li- had them all lined up this huge row. And then he tipped it over and they all fell into place. But it's just like, there's this fun TikTok video. So Karen wrote a song using that. And then, and then told Alex and Alex is like, I want to play on that. So this year, so he sent us the track. And so I just did, we just did drums in my room for it a couple of weeks ago. That's amazing. I, I love that. So, I just, I want to play on that. Okay. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, and he's the nicest guy. Yeah. He's, it's, is, yeah. Okay. And then that was, and I'd always said, by the way, I'd always said, you know, being like you, a diehard Russian, I always said, I don't think I ever want to meet those guys. <laughs> You know, years ago, I was like, I, I kind of want, I kind of wanted to have this like elevated pedestal of like, you know, yeah, as you know, they joke and I love you, man, like you know the like the holy triumvirate and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and right. then like uh, and then uh, the next thing I know, like I uh, you know, 
you, you just never know what's going to happen. And then one thing, like we're talking about, you mentioned the family tree thing. And then the next thing I know, I'm at Karim's apartment and he's telling me he's become really good friends with Alex and he's going to play with us. So I'm like, that's insane. What? So, so I've never tracked with him live. Um, he sent that stuff in, but I, but I did that one show and he, and we did a couple of songs together in the rehearsal the day before. Okay. And I've seen him a few times around, around all that stuff. That's, that's, and, uh, I, I love that. I love that, man. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, that I mean, that boy, that was, that was a bigger answer than I expected. That that's so amazing. <laughs> that's so amazing. The last question I had was for you was what do you, when you have time to practice, what do you practice? There's not a lot of time. Uh, thankfully, <laughs> uh, thankfully since everything kind of opened up again over the last few months, yeah. I've been slammed with work, thankfully. Yes. So my time has been spent on on all these projects. Um, I think I've had a session every day for like the last 12 days or something. That's amazing. Um, and, and so I've, it's just been spent, you know, do, doing, doing that, uh, you know, working on stuff for those specific sessions. Uh, but when I do uh, uh, practice uh, other stuff, I still always go back to the new breed oh, okay it's, it's still still a huge like just still it's like that that endless you know freeing up of limbs yep uh th- thing for me that literally is is endless yeah is is killer and 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 my old standby the uh, joe morello master studies book that, okay you know is you know in pieces behind me here because i've had it had it forever uh, but the, those are kind of the, still the two books I will tackle. And then, and then still the whole, like, you can never stop learning songs, you know, just like practicing the rapid fire of, you know, Hey, I'm going to give myself one listen, see how much information I can retain from one listen, play the song. Interesting. Um, yeah. And that, that, and then, and then of course the, the lifelong quest of making music feel as good as possible. Oh my gosh. And yeah. And they, and bass drum, placement and all of that stuff, which is a, a, a longer answer, <laughs> but, uh, no, that's, that's, that's amazing. Well, and, and that being said, I mean, this is a good place to wrap it because it's amazing. You've been so busy and, and finding some time to sit down with me and for us to talk has been a blessing, man. Thank you for doing this. And in the middle of of being so busy that's what i love these are these are the people that we talk to it's hard to pin down the guests that we have because you all are working and staying busy and and so the insight that you give is is just um it's priceless and i, I really appreciate it and man it, it's so fun to meet you and i hope I, I hope we get a chance to hang out man if, you, if you're ever in nashville or, or vice versa or whatever Oh, what, 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 okay. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be on. Seriously, thank you. It's been great. And uh, I could talk for another five hours. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, me too, man. Me too. We could talk, we could talk about drum, drumming and drums and everything forever. But thank you so much for having me on. And thanks to everybody for listening. Yeah, man. And this has been great. And yes, and I do go to Nashville uh, pretty frequently. So I'll, I'll definitely let you know what I'm Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Please, please do. Ryan, it's, it's, it's been a joy, man. Thank you uh, so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure, dude. I'll, I'll, I'll shout at you soon. See you. Okay. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. So there you have it, my conversation with Ryan Brown. If he is in your neck of the woods with Dweezil, I encourage you to go check him out. 
Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with Will Kennedy. We are super excited to have Will on the podcast. Uh, if you're not hip to Will and his work with the Yellow Jackets and the many things that he's done, Will is an amazing, versatile drummer and definitely worth a Google if needed. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Stay safe, stay sane, and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.